those of us here in the sanctuary have already been introduced to our guest preacher this morning, but for the sake of our friends joining us now in the Community Life Center, I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Al Cadenhead, who probably needs no introduction because you can tell who he is just by looking at him. Uh, as many of you know, uh, our pastor, Dr. Chris Cadenhead, is in Africa for the next uh, week or so with a team from our church who are ministering with uh, some of our partners uh, called Sudso International, who minister to uh, children and youth on the streets in Kenya. So while he's away, uh, Dr. Cadenhead has asked Dr. Cadenhead to join us for the next couple of weeks uh, in, in the pulpit. Dr. Al Cadenhead has uh, pastored in churches in Georgia and North Carolina for the past 40 years. Most recently, he's retired from Providence Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he was a pastor for over 20 years. Most importantly, he's been married to Suzanne for 50 years and is a proud granddad to Ashlyn and Addie and Ella and Will and Charlie. We're so happy to have you here. Come share God's word with us. Good morning. To you and to you who are worshiping in another setting, uh, I'm so sorry that, uh, that I'm all Chris could find to fill the pulpit for uh, <laughs> this particular time. I, uh, I know he tried all kinds of other possibilities and ended up with just his old worn out father, but I'm glad to be here. At my age, I'm just glad to be anywhere. Uh, I uh, certainly will be praying and, and Hope all goes well with their trip. I think uh, Addie said it best. Addie is, I don't know how much Chris talks about Addie, but I've used Addie for more sermon illustrations than I have Jesus at times. And, uh, <laughs> and she's always got something to say. Uh, and when, <laughs> when Chris was leaving, Addie's final words to him happened to be, Daddy, don't get sick and don't get killed. So, uh, you know, that's, that's straight from Addie. Uh, but before I begin, let me take a very serious moment, an opportunity to, on behalf of myself and Suzanne, who will be joining us uh, for the second service, uh, to just offer a number of thank yous in, in several directions. Suzanne and I spent 46 years in the pastorate, and we are very well aware of <clears throat> the hazards and uh, the demands as well as the joys of, of being a pastor and have felt uh, very good that, that with Chris growing up as a PK, and you know what that means, that with all of those years of seeing not only the, the good part of the church but also the underbelly of the church, that even then he was willing to accept the role and call as a pastor, so there's no doubt in my mind that, that Chris and Heather certainly are uh, where they are supposed to be because God has called them to be. And, and I will say, also on behalf of Suzanne and myself, that, uh, by the way, Suzanne's Chris's mother, just so you'll know in case there's any question about it, but uh, that we, we are glad that, that Chris and Heather are here. And I say that very sincerely. As a pastor for a lot of years, 
and, and then as a VP for college relations, uh, for church relations in a college uh, from which I've just retired also, uh, I am sadly aware of just how many unhealthy churches there are out there. And, and that's not anything that I say with any kind of joy. But Bonsack is such uh, a cut above. And you are so healthy, and I, I say that to you, and I hope you know that, that in comparison with just multitudes of churches that are not doing as well as you in a lot of different ways, uh, I want to commend you. And because of that, <clears throat> I am also glad that Chris and Heather are here with you and the girls, of course. And I will set aside the parental confessions by simply telling you what, what I hope you already know. And that is that Chris and Heather love you dearly as a congregation, and I hope you feel that love very well. Let me turn to our text for this morning, <coughs> excuse me, taken from the Gospel of Luke and uh, the eighth chapter, the uh, 20, beginning with verse 22 and reading through verse 25. Hear this word that you've heard many times before. The disciples went and woke him, <clears throat> saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we're grateful for this holy word. And our prayer is that the presence of your Holy Spirit might be a bridge between this printed page and the depths of our hearts. That what we read and hear <clears throat> might truly become the truth of our lives. And we offer that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The author of one of the devotional books that I use has said wisely that Scripture often is revealing itself in, in layers, that it's almost like an onion, that you, you peel away one layer and there's something else underneath it, and that's just the, the nature of Scripture. It's always some truth underneath truth and lesson underneath lesson. And I agree with that author that the, often the truths and lessons to be learned and the Bible often come in layers and have to be peeled away. But today, I want to add another observation of Scripture and a description of the Bible in the way that it reveals itself and teaches the lessons that are needed for everyday living. It is certainly true that many of the lessons of Scripture are as bold and unquestioned as thunder and lightning. It is requires no debate, no question about it. It's just there, bold, clear, and it just almost jumps off the page. And yet, this is what I want to talk with you today about, and that some of the Bible's most practical wisdom comes not just in bold thunder, but often in very subtle, very, very subtle ways. But if we're not careful, they'll overlook it and miss it altogether. 
I place today's gospel reading in front of you as an example of that. It's a perfect example. There's this bold, almost thunderous lesson that Jesus has power over the wind and the sea, power to claim and calm the storm. And we're grateful for that. There's, that's no small insight. It's good to know that Jesus has the ability to calm a big storm. Uh, we need that because storms come. They come upon us uh, when we know that the only hope we have is for some kind of help beyond us, beyond just what ability we might possess. It was certainly no minor experience for these disciples. Some of them were professional fishermen, and they, they knew about storms, and yet there's this bold, thunderous storm that catches them, and the description of the power of Jesus certainly is a word we need to hear. Last fall, Suzanne and I had the opportunity to join many of you uh, when you made the trip to Israel at last November, and to do so with, with family, with Ashlyn and, and Ella, uh, uh, that's another granddaughter, Addie, she'll never forgive me for that. Uh, we, we saw all the sights that, that you see when you're over there, and, and those holy places certainly add meaning to the Bible and to the stories that we read. Even though they, they've taken all those holy places and they've built a big church there, on every one of them, every one of them. As someone in our group said, we came here to follow the steps of Jesus, but the church keeps getting in the way. And I thought, wow, there's a, there's a sermon there somewhere, but for another time. To me, the funniest part, and some of you will remember this, that we were in the parking lot of the Dead Sea, there was this bus parked next to us, and there was this big sign in the windshield of that bus that said, come, follow the steps of Jesus in this bus. And I thought, wow, that's a sermon also. <laughs> Yet of all of the sites and holy places, my favorite was the Sea of Galilee, and for a number of reasons. And we were able uh, to take a boat ride over across the Sea of Galilee. It was an amazing moment. And you are aware, of course, that the, the Sea of Galilee and the land that surrounded it was the center of, of so much, almost all of Jesus' ministry and his activity. And when you're on the Sea of Galilee, you look around and, and it just tells the story of Jesus. The, the gospel is just there all around you. But one of the things that I appreciated most is that when you're on the lake, on the sea, and we were, uh, you, you're able to see the topography, the, the land, and how it flows around uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they called them mountains. You in the Roanoke Valley wouldn't call them mountains, but they called them mountains, and those mountains surround the sea, except in one place at the end of the sea, there's this downward trend of the landscape. There's this opening. And what happens is that that opening allows for a, a wind tunnel to often pass through. And that's why often storms just brew up all of a sudden. They blow and, and come upon the Sea of Galilee almost with no warning. And that's exactly what happened that day. One of those storms that came through that opening at the end of the sea that the fishermen were probably familiar with occurred that day, but it was a it must have been a big storm because even the 
the professional fishermen were, were worried and afraid. And, and if they were afraid, you can imagine how traumatic it must have been for those who, who were not familiar with the sea. And they woke Jesus, which I find interesting in itself. Jesus is in the boat asleep in the midst of a storm. And then comes that big and bold and central part of the story, he calmed the storm. Now forget for a moment all of the theories that just as fast as the storms will come upon the Sea of Galilee, that they can also go away that quickly. But forget that. The, the truth is, that day he calmed that storm. And of course, it caught the attention of the disciples. They were amazed. And that is a bold truth that we often forget. Jesus does have power greater than the storm. This past several weeks have reminded us how powerful and how dangerous storms can be. How do you describe what Doran did to the Bahamas and made all of us afraid on the, on the East Coast? Uh, Suzanne and I have a condo in Charleston, and it was all, everything was brought in and porch furniture off, and uh, we went back down this past week. And on Friday, just day before yesterday, we were packing everything back in where it's supposed to be and turned to the weather channel, and guess what? There are three more lined up out there on the ocean right now. I mean, storms just come. These particular storms happen to come between June and November usually, but storms come, one right after the other. That's the nature of life. But I want to go back to my earlier statement that some of the most important and most needed words of Scripture come not in the big, bold thunder, but often in the very subtle ways. And it's right here in this particular passage that one of those subtleties is almost overlooked. Again, I read from that 8th chapter. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Yes, he, he did calm the storm, and we're grateful for that. And, and the disciples, nor Jesus, not, they were not doing anything wrong. They were not being negligent. They were just doing what they were supposed to do. And the storms come, whether you've created them yourself or not. The storms just come. And they had no weather service, there was no phone where it pops up on your phone and says rain will begin at 5.45 p.m. I'm always amazed at that. And we were moving around so much that sometimes I got to figure out which, which town is he talking about. But, uh, you know, there was no weather forecast for them. It just happened. Uh, the storm came. On our trip last year, uh, those of you who were there remember that we had the privilege of seeing a boat it would have been very much like the boat the disciples and Jesus would have been in that day. They had managed to pull it from the Dead Sea, and by it being underwater, it was preserved. We were able to look at a boat just like the one that Jesus and the disciples would have been in, and it, it would have been very frightening to be in a storm in that boat. It's frightening to be in, a, in any kind of boat uh, during a storm. I, uh, I can't say much because I have been in storms on the water and they have been very frightening 
uh, all of our married life, we've had some kind of boat. I guess that's where Chris gets his love for boats. And uh, back years ago, when Chris was just a, a boy, we had a much smaller one than we have now. And, and we took it on vacation with us to Fernandina. And along with uh, us also in our group was our attorney and his wife <clears throat> and a doctor and his wife. But one day, Chris and I and the doctor and lawyer went out on the water in our little boat. Now, we were anchored to a boulder out beyond the jetties in Fernandina. If you've ever been there, you know where I'm talking about. And maybe I just wasn't paying attention or I was having a good time with Chris being in the boat. And, and all of a sudden, this storm just blew up out of nowhere, or so it seemed. And it was powerful. And all of a sudden, the boat was rocking so hard that it literally broke the line to the anchor that was to the boulder, and I didn't go back and get my anchor. Uh, we, we turned around and we started heading in, and the waves were, were so big that the front end of the boat was literally going underwater. Uh, now, Chris was loving it. He thought he was at Carowinds and having a, a ride of some sort, but I looked back, and the, uh, the lawyer and the doctor who were sitting in the back of the boat had their heads between their knees. And I couldn't tell if they were praying or if they were throwing up or both. I wasn't sure <laughs> which one it was. But uh, they promised me when we finally got back in, okay, that they would never go out with me again in a boat. And, and they've kept that promise all these years since then. But the disciples woke Jesus, and he calmed the storm. And along with the disciples, we've always made a big deal about Jesus being able to do that. And that is a big deal. There are times when we desperately need him to calm big storms that come upon us. Sometimes the storms are a result of our own doing. Sometimes they just happen. It's just the nature of life. But many storms come upon us, and, and they come in all kinds of ways. Many of them have nothing to do with the weather. Nothing to do with the weather at all. I think of the storms that have raged in recent weeks. You open the newspaper, turn on the television, watch the news, and, and the storms are so obvious, and they're so frightening. We hardly know what to do. It's, it's bad when, when you're afraid to read the newspaper because of what storm may have occurred the night before. There's such a need for Jesus to calm storms even today, and he's still capable of that. And I pray every morning and night for Jesus to get up out of the boat and bring peace to a world that is, that is scary. Go back to my comment earlier that some of the most important lessons can be overlooked, and right here is the subtlety that is so often overlooked in this story. When they needed Jesus to calm the storm, where was he? Where was he? He was asleep in the boat. They didn't have to send a text message. They didn't have to call him on his iPhone. He was already in the boat with them. All they had to do was just wake him up and remind him that there was a huge storm, as if he needed reminding of that. He was with them all the time. And I find great comfort in that, 
that when the storms come and they do come, that he's already there with us. He's already in the boat with us. And that's a very subtle part of the story that's often overlooked. And it is so encouraging. My friends, storms are inevitable. We can't keep them from happening. Sometimes with a little warning, sometimes they just blow up in a hurry and engulf us. And they occur for all of us. And if you think that because you are a Christian that you will be spared storms, then you're fooling yourself. If you think that just because you are a good, solid, strong Christian church, that as a church you'll be spared storms, then, then you're going to be disappointed. Disney World is a long way away, and I'm afraid you'd have to go there to find that kind of world. I'm not even sure Disney World can promise no surprises. And one reason that winds are in the forecast for you and for me is that we live in a time when change is occurring at warp speed, so fast. Yes, I know that change has always been going on, but never before, never before is it going on, has it gone on like it is now. And it impacts us in every dimension of our lives. There, there was a word that I grew weary of uh, as a pastor and in uh, the college setting, that's the word paradigm. I got so tired of hearing about the paradigm has changed. Well, guess what? The paradigm has changed. And that's the case in, in every dimension of our lives, every dimension. So much has changed in the culture around us. It's certainly changed in the life of the local church. When I retired from Providence a few years ago, there were the typical interviews and questions asked and about plans being made. And, and often they would say to me, well, you've been doing this 46 years. It must be old hat to you. It must be so routine. And I had to be honest and say, no, it is the opposite. That every day when I come to work, it is like I've never done it before. Because the culture of the church, in the church, and around the church has changed so dramatically in recent years. And that's the case in almost every dimension of life. Ask any person in the military if the paradigm has changed. Two weeks ago, we had the privilege of attending an installation service of my first cousin. She's a surgeon and has been promoted to captain and is in the Pentagon now. And uh, the service, the installation service was held in Calhoun, Georgia where my father is still living and is a uh, World War II veteran, and they did it there so that he could be a part of that process. And I listened to them make comments, uh, the officials who were there from all over, a lot, of, a lot of ribbons and a lot of brass on their uniforms, and talking about the changing world of the military. My dad, at age 95, was trained for a year to land on the beaches of Iwo Jima and uh, then was being trained to land on the beaches of Japan. But the places that trained those, those soldiers in that day to land on the beaches, those, those training centers are now being closed because we're fighting a different kind of war. 
It's a whole different paradigm in the military. Ask any military person. The, the world has changed dramatically. Prior to two weeks ago, the biggest challenge you faced at Walmart was finding a buggy that rolled. <laughs> and now you worry at a place like that, who's got a gun in the checkout aisle next to you? I have to tell you this, and it has nothing to do with the sermon. Yesterday, we got our things together in a hurry. <laughs> and I forgot my socks. Well, I realized that as we pulled into town last night, and at 10 o'clock, Suzanne I had to make a trip to Walmart uh, to get my, my socks. And, uh, <laughs> but one thing has changed about buying socks. I couldn't buy a pair of socks. I had to buy 12. <laughs> 12 pair of socks to get one pair. Now, if any of if you guys need your socks, I got 11 pair in my car. That, that you're welcome to. Uh, but that's not such a big paradigm change, but I got more socks than I need right now. But I'm thinking especially of the changes that you're facing as a church. I watched it happen over the years. Denominational life has changed, and your local Baptist association has changed. My good friend John Saunders, who's a member of this church, uh, I think would tell you, I've not told him about this part of it, but I think he would agree that the work of the association has changed in recent days. The paradigm has changed. There was a time in church life, if you build, they will come. That's not the case anymore. Uh, there was a time when the community really valued and promoted life in the church, and nowadays it's not that the community is just against the church. Generally speaking, the community just doesn't care. And so the reason for reaching out has to be done differently. But it still must be done. People are still hungry for the gospel, but often it's under the guise of a consumer mentality. The way Bonsack reached 20 years ago requires new strategy today. I go on and could talk more about all the changes that are occurring. But my friend, storms are coming. That's not a threat. It's not pessimism. It's reality. Storms are coming. It's called change. It's called life. But this is what I want to tell you today. And I'm watching the clock. You know, you've got that clock back there. Nobody can see it but me. So obviously, that's, that's why it's there for the person in the pulpit. This is what I came to tell you today, and it's the small, almost hidden word of encouragement in Luke 8. That when the storms occur, and they will, that when the storms occur, our Lord is already in the boat with us. He's always with us. Never far away, always close, and the same storms that surround us surround him as well. And he stands next to us and helps us navigate through the waves and the wind. And his presence does not release us from the need to navigate. And what is true in the life of the church is also true in your personal life, in our personal lives. Storms come. Sometimes we bring them on ourselves. Sometimes they just happen. 
My guess is that many of you this very minute find yourself in the middle of a storm or you have this sense that one's about to occur or maybe one has just blown through. But storms occur in our personal life as well. You can't hide from them. Yet I find this incredibly encouraging and it is a fact that we often forget in case you didn't hear it, he's in the boat with us regardless of the nature of the storm. Let me close by referring you to another part of the story and possibly another subtle truth that, that we often tend to forget. It's best described in the final verses of Matthew. The same disciples that were with Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee met Jesus there on that mountain and and he gave them some marching orders. And he concluded what he said to them by saying, And lo, I am what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think he was reminding them that the storm that they had on the Sea of Galilee was nothing compared to the storms that lay ahead of them in the years to come. And, and that turned out to be true. But the important part of that word was that he would be with them. You see, before the ascension, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But after the ascension, he could be in all places at all times. And that means he can be with you and with me, with all of us, regardless of what's going on, regardless of when it's going on. Which brings me back to where I started. Some lessons of the Bible are as bold as thunder and lightning. Like the storm Jesus calmed that day on the sea. But we also need to remember that which is more subtle. And it's a word that I think we need to hear this morning. Like the fact that Jesus was in the boat with them. We should not forget that part of the story. You're in a boat called Bonsack, and there will be storms. That's not a threat, my friends. It's just life. And what I'm saying to you this morning is do not forget that you are not alone. Not only do you have each other, and that's certainly important to remember, but you also have the ascended Christ in the boat with you. And when the storms come, you can hold on to the side or look for a line or a rope. Or even better, you can find an oar and start rowing. Just don't forget. Hear me. Hear me, please. Do not forget that you are not alone. <laughs> you might have to wake him up. And maybe that's one of the reasons we pray, is to wake him up. But remember that the Lord is in the boat with you, and his final words were, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what I came to tell you today. Pray with me. Lord, we're grateful for that encouraging word that you are with us, regardless of, of what we do and whether we brought the storm on ourselves or if it just if it just comes out of the blue. Lord, we're grateful that 
we have the assurance that you're by our side, that you're in the boat with us, and that all we have to do is call upon you. And remember that the storm that surrounds us also surrounds you. So, Lord, be with us as we live out this day and this week, regardless of what comes our way, whether it's sunshine or dark cloud. Help us to remember that you are with us and you still have the power to calm the storm. And we offer that prayer in the name of him who came to us as one of us in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe there's some commitment you need to make today, whatever that might be, to renew your relationship with the risen Lord or to confess and to claim membership in a church, whatever there might be that's on your heart and way, uh, you have the opportunity to come and share that with people who truly love you and care for you. So I invite you to come as we stand and sing.